What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 14, Heart of Stone. Uh, I am very excited to talk about this episode. In fact, I was so excited that when I noted it, I found that Mike had actually watched it already. I couldn't believe it. So I had to immediately watch Mike watch the last 15 minutes of this episode. Uh, what so was, much fun. What was so curious to you, the reveal? Oh, you know what? It was It was both the reveal and I wanted you to see the Cisco Nog like oh, yeah. major scene. I wanted to watch you watch that scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I think it'll be an interesting conversation as to the stro- what we think the stronger storyline is here. Yeah, well, I mean, or or in my opinion, are they both strong? I yeah. don't know. It's gonna be uh, yeah. it's gonna be fun to talk about. We're gonna get into it, but before we do that, we have to talk about last week, the episode Life Support, and get the viewer ratings. So, if you would like your rating read about next week's episode, about this week's episode, about I don't know. I might sort of temporal vortex there for a second. You can just leave your rating at 1 to 100 self-sealing stem bolts in the comments below. Write a treatise. Just leave a number. Doesn't matter. You count. And you go into the communal average. So this week, our ratings were from Joshua Cronin. We got a 78. Jason Moe gave it a 67. Delusions at Noon gave it a 64. JD gave it a 69. Worf's Bootshivs gave it a 70. Harry Pothead gave it a 40. Steamboats and hilarious. Steamboats? Steamboats. And Ricky Steamboats? I see title. Okay. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I love it. And Sans Deity came in with the super duper tip because Sans Deity has a lot to say. All right. And, you know, as always, if you leave us, you leave a little tip with your comment, we read it on the air. Sans Deity, you have the floor. Indeed. <clears throat> Firstly, I apologize if this is a bit of a long comment since I had some thoughts about the wormholes you guys had and since they didn't seem as bad to me, so I bumped up my tip a little bit. I think the ticking time bomb is that the official peace talks hadn't happened. She says that Burial set up the talks and he'd been working with the Legate about diff- a lot of different topics over five months. It's not unreasonable to me that she wouldn't have had the same knowledge of the specifics or the same rapport with the Legate as Burial did. Sure. Which explains why she seems less confident or dependent in this episode. I'm sure she would have been debriefed and stuff, but she wasn't the one who actually working with the Cardassians yet. That was to come in the first place it was to come in the first face-to-face meetings they were going to when the accident happened. So, yeah, so I guess if they were going to it when the accident happened, that that helps explain it. So, in her mind, she needs Burial alive at all costs, since he had done all the personal bridge building with Legate Terrell. If they tried to wait a few weeks, the Cardassians might have gotten cold feet or the talks would have become public knowledge. That's mm-hmm. a really good point and somehow upset the careful work they'd established over those five months, and the talks would die. That's a really good point. I don't think they address it in the episode, but I think the episode would have been better had they pointed that out, which makes perfect sense. It is a bit forced, perhaps, but not quite as head-scratching as you guys. Just my 500 cents. This is another episode that I usually skip, but I'm glad my rewatch, along with the podcast, is kind of forcing me to really absorb the whole show again. And this is one that I liked a little better than I remembered even though it's still not as good. As a kid, I hated Wim and still do. 
but it's an admirable hate because of those in, because of the incomparable Louise Fletcher, rest in peace. If you hate the character, respect the actor, abso-freaking-lutely. I enjoyed seeing her vulnerability in this episode because it does what DS9 does best, which I mentioned in my last comment, which is adding layers to every character. The little bit of sympathy you feel for Wynne at times in this episode counterpoints with her selfish acts to deliver a much stronger emotional impact. The bit with Jake and Nog was again a bit sitcom-y for me, and it's another part of the show that I don't like in a vacuum, but adds to the overall tapestry of the Jake-Nog relationship. The fact that Jake is human and Nog is Ferengi is an important aspect of their relationship, but while I like to like how they explore the idea that you shouldn't judge a culture on your own values, Nog is not held nearly as accountable enough for his actions as I'd like, agreed. We don't have to judge him the same way we would a human who would act that way, but it just... But just as we must accommodate for his values, he should have to accommodate for ours in some way. And that isn't explored at all. Very good point. Yeah, we, that's totally, that, that is exactly how I felt, but couldn't articulate. It's that they don't, they give him, they they give him just a blanket pardon. Right. Rather than. Because he's Ferengi. Explaining yeah. that, yes, we can respect each other's differences, but you still ha- we still have to we, agree we have to on respect- some social cues. <laughs> Well, because we have to respect each other's, mm-hmm. not just I respect yours. Right. It's you. You have to, you know, and and his lack of respect for their for for the you know the the girls that they were with their culture. Right. Is really the issue. Mm-hmm. Right. He was not respecting their culture. All right. Uh, good point. And Keith, you're absolutely right. Nana visitor could mourn a goddamn tuna fish sandwich and pull at my heartstrings. Well said. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. She's the best actor on the show. Kira is one of the most badass characters in Star Trek, but the now visitor is at her best when she's vulnerable, and her heartbreak over Barile, who I could give two ravages of yamak sauce about, is played to perfection, even if their relationship is not. Now, I would fact, I would argue that she's best when encased in fake stone. Well, we, yeah. I mean, good lord, what a what a. It's really interesting to have these two episodes back to back, right? Because because we it's it's a Nog episode followed by a Nog, Nog being like absolutely horrible, to Nog being his most heroic and triumphant, and then Nana sort of in a in distress back to back as well. Yeah, it's well we'll talk about it moving forward. I want to let him uh, this point get finished, but you know I, I I've started reading the companion after the episode once i'm given permission from delusions at noon (laughs) so i read this one after and i think actually having read it previous would have actually added a little context to her performance but we'll get there in in, uh, trivial yeah the fact that she meaning nana or anyone else on ds9 or next gen never won an acting emmy is a crime shame agreed Still, not the hugest fan of this episode, and it will receive 60 self-sealing stem bolts. Hell yes, they're self-sealing from me. I couldn't give any episode with a performance like Lana Visitors in it less than that. Agreed. So the uh, viewer average is a 64, which, uh, if we're counting at home, means I win because I said 65. What did I say? But you said 68. But that, of course, is not the final word on the episode. Because uh, Mike, we need the, we need the bumper for the, from the desk of the chancellor. From the desk of Chancellor Jen. Chancellor Jen says, "Hi guys! Surprise, surprise! I loved it. 
Give Nana Visitor all the awards, please. She is just so, so good. And I was a pool of tears at the end. Some great scenes for Bashir, too. 88 from me, Chancellor Jen. She's bringing that bell curve right up around. There it is. All right. Well, that uh, that brings the end to last week. Let's talk about this week. First, Keith, before we do that, I want to say that mm-hmm. you aren't the only person who was watching along in the Deep Space Nine with Mike over on the Patreon. I, I asked. I said, hey, is anybody watching? I guess well, some people chimed in and said, yes, we are. Thank you. And I should be the one saying thank you. It's not in vain. I'm not just screaming to the void. I appreciate you. And Keith, I'd love more people more eyeballs mm. to be joining us for our weekly watch along of Deep Space Nine and of course Strange New Worlds on we I usually do yep. on Thursdays but uh, you That's can join right. that team over at patreon.com slash K&M. Keith, who are the fine folks that are joining me and also getting all kinds of nonsense we throw up on the internet including a oh. playthrough of Star Trek Resurgence? Uh, let me tell you. I, I, of course I didn't tell you. I, I moved the patron segment to later in the episode, oh, but we're well, going to do it now yeah, because sure. I didn't tell you. That's on me. That's not on you. That's on me. Our patrons are Bryant Kimball, Beersock, Wyatt Eldridge, Casey Clark, Jason Moe, Bren Joshua, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Novoa, and the mysterious Worf's Bootshivs, Charles Babbage, Richard Coleman, CRM Productions, Nikolai Ivanovich, Lobachevsky, Delusions at Noon, JD Makes, Colin Dagan, Chris Mitchell at CRM, Pat, and Joshua Cronin. There's no place like home, Keith. Even those who fly the coop for whatever reasons, or be them financial or just distaste of us, you're always welcome home. Join the team, patreon.com slash K and m yes indeed understandable reasonable distaste all right so (laughs) we're talking about deep space nine season three episode 14 heart of stone which aired on february 6th 1995 the top song let's take a listen once again it's creep by tlc creep creep betty deep betty 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 when you sleep, you still creep. And then you gonna eat some peeps. <laughs> Guys, we just keep getting better. I mean, it really just just the absolute uh, achievements. And I, 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 it's amazing we haven't won any awards. How is it that we don't have a potty or whatever they... Uh... A potty? Oh. Yeah, so... <laughs> oh, we gotta use this one more. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, the top movie, uh, astoundingly, continued to be Legends of the Fall. I mean... Which spent four weeks at the top of the charts. One for every inch of Brad Pitt's flowing locks. Picks, pit, pit. Brad Pitt. I'm I'm so glad you said locks and not the thing it rhymes with. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what's, what was on TV, Mike. Oh, Keith, I can't wait to tell you, as a matter of fact. So we were, you know, doing our thing. Mm-hmm. Coach... God, I loved Coach. Craig T. Nelson, love you, buddy. The Walk-On, and then that was followed up. They they, they didn't do any other primetime episodes, Keith, on ABC because they were doing a big movie. Sneakers was getting its television debut, 1992 mm. joint. Uh, I don't know anything about the movie Sneakers, but... I've heard of it, it but I, I wouldn't get. be able to tell you it anything about it. It was a big it. get for them. Let's go ahead and take a peek now that we need to know. Yeah, uh, episode list. Nope, we got, we got nothing. Nope, okay. Okay. Good, uh, wow. good, good podcast. Once again, uh, send your potties. Do uh, mm-hmm. we had the na- CBS, the nanny, Dave's World, Murphy Brown, Sybil, and Chicago Hope 
all new episodes across the board. Mm. Fox, Melrose Place, and Models, Inc., both new episodes. NBC, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Blossom, both new episodes. Man, TV was so good in the 90s. Serving in Silence, the Marguerite Kammermeyer story was their movie of the night. Of course, on the... On the UPN, Keith, which is where my interest lies today, of we course, have Star now. Trek Voyager, and then the big lead-in, of course, uh, Pigsty, Iowa versus New York. Don't know what that was, but, Keith, of course, we had the second episode of Platypus Man. Ah, the yes, apartment. And because I just had no idea either who the comedian referenced was or the show, Plat- uh, you know what I'm saying, yeah. I, I decided to, to pull it up here. I can't wait. I'm very impressed. And and we were talking before. I think we're probably okay not getting oh. YouTube. Oh, there's me. Hey, sorry. There we go. Let's see if we get a YouTube strike for Platypus Man. Yeah, I'd like to shout out to VHS Channel on YouTube. Yeah. You can check them up, the VHS Archive, uh, for this recording of UPN's Platypus Man. This is the first episode. Platypus, a small egg-laying mammal that attempts to mate frequently but spends most of its time alone. Man, an adult male human. Got it. Platypus man. An adult male human that attempts to mate frequently but spends most of its time alone. Oh, that's clever. Platypus man brought to you by Burger King. Burger King. You can get your burgers worth. And by Saturn. (laughs) Different kind of car. (laughs) What's wrong with Saturn? I I drive a Saturn. And now here he is, the platypus man himself. Okay, so it's another like... uh, what were you just Thank watching, you. Keith? That show, Gary Sandling show, Gary Sandling. Thank you very much. We were just watching the Gary Sandling. Weren't you talking about it? Somebody was. Thank you. Thank you. Show Welcome within a show. show. We are coming to you from New York City, where our motto is: Show me a guy with one foot, and I'll show you a guy who tried to hide his money in a shoe. <laughs> wow, that's, that's really funny. Oh, hey, look! Say hello to him. Wait, is, is that Ethan is, Phillips? The man who comes to your town and helps your party. Wait, down, wait, wait, wait! Our stop, musical stop, director. Stop! Stop! <laughs> Stop. Stop. Okay. Hold on. Because this is this is really big news. Because is that the Seinfeld set? It's not the Seinfeld set, but that's Ethan Phillips, who plays Neelix on Voyager. Oh, he's doing double duty? Like uh, the lead into the lead in? I, I need uh, hold on. I this we, we got to do the apartment is basically Seinfeld and then this bar scene is ba- that's basically Joey Tribbiani right I just right wish there. I could find a right girl. Uh-huh. I'm ready to settle down myself. I thought you were happy going out with a different girl every night. We don't need to happy? watch the show, Mike. Hold on. So flip through. I do know Richard Tribbiani. So, oh, Keith, the butt scratch joke. Come on. Oh, for I'm goodness sakes. Old. You know why? You know why? I just got Wait, jealous. This is not that's good TV. Hold on. Come we're, on now. Th- this exact episode, is this the pilot or was this? It says first episode. First episode. Okay, it was the pilot. So, yes, it's. E- so, all right, so Ethan Phillips played Neelix at eight and Vern Tuttle at nine. Hey, man. Busy man. On UPN. There you go. Who? I, you know, I feel like there's a good chance that one of them got him more residuals than the other. He's probably still getting him residuals. Oh, it, uh, I, w- I would certainly hope so. Okay, well, uh, that also uh, brings us nicely to what was Voyager doing. They were doing the episode Phage. Oh, so uh, yeah, it's a, it's, you know, don't don't get it, Mike. That's the, the thing. Different is, than aphasia, Keith, is, which is when dog eats its own feces. Is it something like, that. or maybe that's when you lose your memory? Yeah, I think it has something to do with memory. But What's... whatever. But maybe your your dog forgot not to eat his poop. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. So. All right, so... Hold on. Now we need to know. 
What's We're it called when a dog eats its own poop? Uh, coprophagia. Coprophagia. Yeah, and aphasia is the ability is the loss of the ability to understand or express speech, which is what people wish they had after the past f- ten minutes of this episode. It, it it does seem like both of us are suffering <laughs> a little bit from that today. <laughs> but now uh, we can get into the serious business of the weekly world news headline this week. I married Bigfoot, the father of my child. California woman weds in the national park ceremony. Uh, you know, love is love, and we're very happy. Yeah. Uh, for whoever got to do the graphics on that. Well done. Well. Wow. Done. What else we got? World exclusive story and quote unquote photos. Photos. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Loose definition of photos, but uh, but the hard news from the weekly world Thanks. news. Let's get into the episode proper, shall we? Yeah. Heart of Stone was directed by Alexander Singer, who last directed Second Sight. It has a teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear, showrunner, and Robert Hewitt Wolf. And you can tell that these uh, is an episode written by people who actually know the show and the characters really well. So in our trivial trivia, oh no, it's time for trivia too. I got a bumper. I forgot how to bumper. Yeah, I know you're you're killing segments left and right, so I have to know you know what's even happening. I announce it. Waste your time with trivial trivia. Okay. So, uh, as I think you were referencing, poor Nana Visitor is famously claustrophobic and had yet another trapped episode, which could not possibly have been fun for her. We also, we reference O'Brien's kayaking love, which we first learned about in the Next Generation episode Transfigurations, where he also separated his his shoulder. <laughs> and part of that storyline uh, Odo references the song Louie Louie, and the original plan was actually to have him sing it, but it was too expensive to license. You can license this one, buddy. You ready for it? I'm, I'm oh, ready. Forget it. I couldn't even get the... Louie Louie! Oh! I said we gotta go. Probably to another podcast, because this is, this is pretty terrible. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> we should go get a sandwich and come back. <laughs> I, I'm so hungry and thirsty. I have nothing in front of me. Mike, compl- what's wrong? Completely Were unprepared. Were you prepared to do the no. show? I just got no. back from a run, and then I popped in the shower, and I jumped in front. I wouldn't oh, want to be that's late. what's happening. We we have low-cal Mike. Yeah. That's the problem. Low that's blood sugar problem. Mike. Low blood sugar Mike. <laughs> you should go grab, like, a bar or something. Jen's coming back from uh, the coffee shop. She's bringing a nice coffee. That should do it. All right. So Salome Jens, who plays the female changeling, is only credited at the end of the episode so as not to give away the twist, which is something that she uh, had to concede to do because Mm -hmm. uh, the the rules say you must be credited, but she obviously made the concession to do that to save the mystery, which I thought was nice. And lastly, I think this is pretty cool. This is Aaron Eisenberg's Nog's favorite episode and favorite piece of his own acting that he ever did. Um, Although I would argue he does some phenomenal stuff coming up. And here's a quote about the scene with he and Avery Brooks at the end, which I thought was really interesting. He says, Avery Brooks is awesome. He's got such presence. There's a power behind his eyes. How can I explain it? He gives you, he gives to you 
when he looks in your eyes. He doesn't just look in your eyes. He looks in your eyes and feeds you. That, uh, that was a scene that we rehearsed, but as soon as we shot it, he unexpectedly grabbed my shoulders and said, tell me, Nog, what is it? That was not in the, that was not plotted. It was awesome because it forced me to come up to that level. I didn't back down. I blurted out because I don't want to be like my father. He is so professional. That was my favorite scene. It finally gave me, as an actor, something to really think about and to deal with. It was emotional, and we got to see the heart of Nog. Also, as an actor, I really had to come from a place and not just be on the surface. I was very well prepared when I did it. I didn't have any problems with the lines, and I was very proud of myself. I think often we, as a consuming public, think of actors acting as a very solitary art form, a very singular art form, whereas an actor is good or bad, and he's maybe good or bad in this. But it's not doesn't really work that way because you can be a a great monologist, right? That's that's one thing. But generally speaking, you are acting with people in scenes in things. And so a good portion of a performance is predicated upon who are the people work you are working with? Who are you in the scene with? How are they feeding you? Where what are you getting from them? So that's why, you know, some people are in a stinker movie, might not just be the script, it might not be that they're bad, it's that they're wasn't good chemistry, which is why a lot of the shows we love aren't just because we like this one character. It's because the ensemble works together. That's right. And, you know, and a lot of times on the one shots, you're not even reading with the other actor. And so the really committed actors will act against you, even if they're not on camera and give you the full performance, even not on camera. And I I have a feeling that Avery Brooks was one of those folks. Uh, So, yeah, I I almost for for those of you who... uh, who have seen the whole thing and have seen the documentary What We Leave Behind, there's an incredible clip of Aaron Eisenberg talking about his relationship with the show, which I considered playing today, but I'm going to wait until it's over um, mm-hmm. to get the full emotional impact of there's, it. But there's it another clip I saw recently that popped up and the algorithm fed me, which I thought was awesome. And it's it's LeVar Burton on an episode of Reading Rainbow. Mm. And he is presenting how is Star Trek Next Gen recorded, edited, and put to print. I remember that episode. But for an audience, which is generally speaking younger and less savvy when it comes to tech, but but in in that taking that tone made it a very interesting, specific, and kind of deep dive for television production. I think it's really worth a watch, even even this many years later. It's cool. Well, I was one of those kids. Yeah. That he explained that to, and I and I was a regular viewer of Reading Rainbow mm-hmm. before Next Gen happened, and of course Next Gen happened when I was seven, right? So like I was right there in the intersection of of all of that. So I was very excited about that episode. It's crazy to think how like just f- form formational Reading Rainbow was. Oh my god, yeah, for a whole generation, yeah. Mister Rogers, multiple, Reading probably. Rainbow, lots of stuff. Yeah, Sesame Street, Sesame, yeah. three, two, one, Contact. Mm-hmm. Um, if for for you nerds out there, does anybody remember three two one? Square contact? one, square one, three two one contact. Love three two one contact. The, uh, and uh, anyway, PBS, I, 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 PBS, PBS, yeah. the, the PBS. Yeah, well, I mean, and the and MathNet, MathNet. Well, ja- that was part of part of it was square one. I think it was square one. Three two yeah. one contact. Square one. Square one. Well, well, and it was and it was funny because I ended up hiring and then working with Pat Tuesday. Really. Uh, 
of Matt. Oh, yeah, right. She's, yes. She's like a good friend of mine. Yeah. So it was, Square, but I was like, bum, 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 bum. when I finally like got to talk with her about it, I was like, I'm geeking out a little bit. It was really Can funny. I tell you, anyway. I have to just say, so Square One, MathNet would basically, they, they would serialize, right? So they would do like one case Monday through Friday, and then the big reveal right. would be on Friday. But I always had guitar lessons on Friday, <laughs> and you, we weren't taping TV, so I never got to see. I really loved the arcs where they would like resolve it on a Wednesday because I never got right. to see the resolve. You know, I should Although actually. They, they went to... around corners with their calculators yeah. as guns. I can't oh wait. God, I should so go funny. back. I bet you it's all on YouTube. I should check out the, sure the VHS archive. Well, Remind me. I want very... to credit them in the in the notes. Well, I, I I can text Tony and ask what the outcome was on every Friday. So. Yeah. She will never remember. Get me a cameo days. for my birthday. That's awesome. Oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> okay. We could totally do that. All right. So uh, our guest stars this week are, of course, Max Grodenchik as Rom, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, and Salome Jens as the female changeling. I think it's time to hop into the screening room. What do you say, Mike? I think that's a great idea. All right. And I'll play the bumper. Yeah. Ba 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 We'll pause for a moment where everybody who has a dog calms them down. <laughs> that was a bad one. <laughs> that was that was not that was not good. All right. Deep Space Nine, Season 3, Episode 14, Heart of Stone, begins in the teaser when Kira and Odo are flying back from a mission after a new treaty with Cardassia. Odo is crunchy, and Kira asks, what's up? And turns out he's annoyed because Kira turned down a dinner invite to bo- on both of their behalfs without asking him what he wanted to do. She reasonably points out that he doesn't eat, but she gets it. And I think it's... a. I, I mean, any couple you've ever had, we've had this conversation at some point in our lives. A million times. How much time uh, do you think has passed since Burial peaced out in this? Like, if we had to put a oh, guess out there. That's a good... Because it does influence a lot of my thoughts on some of this stuff. I would imagine it's been some time. Okay. At least a few weeks. All right. Um, I, I don't know if there's a star date given. I'm sure somebody out there is tracking and can tell us like exactly what star date this one had and that one had um but it definitely feels like it's been a little while because right. they they wouldn't be going and doing another treaty 24 hours after they signed the peace treaty it was like everything settles for a couple of weeks then we're going to continue the process like next month okay that, that'd be my guess uh well their their uh, very relatable conversation gets interrupted by an alarm that a maquis ship has attacked a lesepian trader and they head off in pursuit. And we head to Act 1. They chase the ship into the Badlands, which we should be nervous about since Voyager just disappeared in there uh, mere months ago. They follow it in, where it is trying to land on a moon. So they decide to land and investigate. We head to the station, where Nog is there asking to meet Cisco in his office. He goes in clutching a bag of gold-pressed latinum. It's Nog's entire life savings, I assume, and he's giving it to Cisco. Turns out Nog has just had his bar mitzvah, and he is trying to buy an apprenticeship with Cisco. He wants to join Starfleet and be the first Ferengi ever in Starfleet, um, which it's 
we see the progression of the Ferengi here because the next gen Ferengi that's utterly absurd. Mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine Ferengi? Yeah, you could totally see that happening. Except um, it <clears throat> in staying with that, the it, it's I, I enjoy that everyone outside of Nog here still is behaving with that same incredulity that they do yeah. in the in the TNG universe you mentioned. And we gotta point out, like Nog has put on his fancy vest yeah, he's for ready. this meeting. Mm-hmm. That, that that is the fanciest I've ever seen Nog look. It looks cool. And in and in in a start to a pretty spectacular performance, you just like most of the other hum, humans on the on the station, you initially see if you can clock any sort of a scheme taking place, but in a very like I think great use of nuance, I can't sniff it on him. You really I don't I don't yeah. pick up even a, a hint of artifice or or scheme taking place here, which is which is good of him to to, to round that corner so well, that it's it plays through. It's interesting because the scheme is there is no scheme. Yeah. Um, and looking at the screenshot, I would like to give uh, Aaron Eisenberg yet another uh, kudos because he did this entire episode and all of that dialogue and all of that acting with those teeth in mm-hmm. his mouth. Mm-hmm. Like that is extraordinary to be able to get just get the words out. Period. Let alone act it as beautifully as he did. So Cisco says, uh, you, "You don't just join Starfleet. You got to join the Academy. And in order to do that, you need a letter of reference from a command level officer before you can even take the entrance exam." And we've seen this on Next Gen with uh, how brutally competitive uh, even getting into Star to the Academy is, let alone Starfleet. Although it is a little murky sometimes because what we see Wesley go through is very unrealistic for filling out an entire Starfleet. Anyway, um, but it's definitely very competitive. And Cisco agrees to think about it, but of course he tries to refuse Nog's money, but Nog won't let him. And Cisco is sort of forced to at least temporarily accept because it would be terribly rude to Nog's culture not to. So on the moon, Odo and Kira walk through the cave set when an earthquake rattles. The surface of the moon is unstable, and they agree to split up in search of the Maquis member. Moments later, Kira calls Odo and says, I'm trapped. So Odo runs to find her and discovers her with her foot trapped in a rock, and it's actually some type of crystal that is slowly expanding. So uh, that's interesting. And the, you know, the effects here are a little rudimentary, but still effective. Like you're transitioning, you're you're morphing from practical to practical here. Yeah. It feels a little stilted, like the, the, the scene breaks where they can change out the prop. I would say, and we'll probably say this a lot, if it's not for Nana's performance in playing the constriction and playing the, the suffocation and playing the, the sort of oppression this would be just, I'd have to write it off as the hoax fest of the century. But I think she works through it. And of course, paired with Renee, I think that they're able to make it work. But I, I, I can't let it off the hook. I don't, I don't think it is great. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Because like for me, the sci-fi concept, you know, it's like it's the quicksand, mm-hmm. right, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, but the sci-fi concept of like you step into something, whether it's a plant that's eating you or a crystal, like I could like – Slowly being subsumed by something on an alien planet—that yeah. makes perfect sense to me. I'll say, and we'll, I don't want to talk about it now; it's a little too early. But 
if you had, you know, uh, patrons who watch along with me will, will know that I clocked the ending of this episode instantly. I caught it was my my pitch, which is crazy because yeah. I, I did not. Yeah. I mean, and, of course, and, I saw and when so I was 13, the episode but... actually ends up having to do for me had to do the the yeoman's work of convincing me that I was wrong, which it does. And then reflipping the switch, which I was like, oh, OK, I should have known. So you thought she'd been swapped out by a changeling this early or that some being well not that she had been swapped out that the that the crystal was a changeling well the crystal was like oh. that was like consuming her for to, for something it, i didn't catch it until a little later that she was actually different but and i think one of the things the pacing we'll talk about it is that that the period of time or the cut between them splitting off to her calling for help is so fast it's so fast that I'm like, oh, I feel like she would have tried to free her. She would have tried to deal with this on her own before calling him right away. Well, don't, we don't know how much time has passed. I know it's, it just felt really, yeah, it felt really abrupt, and so that's what kind of fooled me into thinking that it was a nefarious crystal being. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I to, to the episode's credit, it it works despite me kind of stumbling upon the semi solution early. Yeah. Well, fair enough, and I have thoughts on why. So in Act 2, the earthquakes keep rumbling, and Kira can't get her foot out no matter what she does. Odo naturally bangs it with a rock to no avail, and Kira laughs at the ridiculous situation. So Kira grabs her phaser and shoots the crystal, but of course this causes it to expand and crawl almost to up to her knee. It fed off the energy of the phaser, and the moon rumbles again. Odo calls the runabout to beam them both out, but he can't make contact, so he's going to walk back to the landing site and try to beam her from there. And this is the first time we see that he's pretty nervous, and she tries to set him at ease, but once he leaves, we see on her face that she is also nervous about this. So we head to Quark's, and Rom is working on a broken replicator with Nog. Quark is annoyed and blames it on Rom, despite it being his fault. He explains that everything is Rom's fault. It's in his contract. That, was, that I LOL'd. Hilarious. And Rom grovels, embarrassing Nog. Now, is it because, do we know, I'm sure someone knows, do you know, Keith, is the dynamic between Rom and Nog how siblings work? Or is it because... Uh, you Quark and Rom. Quark and Rom. Is it because that's just how like older the sibling dynamic works, or is it because Rom has failed at business and needs to grovel to his brother for a job, and so because he's a proprietor I, of the bar, he gets to treat him that way? Do we know the dynamic? I I, I think um, I don't think it's ever necessarily explicitly said, but I think it's both. Okay, I think it's older brother, younger brother, but maybe more employer employer employee. Okay, and you know Quark's just kind of a jerk. So I, I think it's it's sort of all of those all of those pieces. Interesting um, to the Ferengi though, for people who are so profit motivated, they would have probably done the calculations that that there is a direct correlation between the way you treat your staff and the their uh, efficiency, and thus there's a calculation there that is maybe being missed. Mike, buddy, mm-hmm. buddy, you know I love you. Uh, let's in our world. Mm-hmm. In our world, the the, the corporations that uh, perhaps think profit is, is important mm-hmm. have have they clocked the uh, correlation between uh, treating your employees well and profit? Well, uh, yeah, I guess maybe not. The, I've worked for some startups that have treated us pretty well. Well, yeah, did, but probably not the work for Amazon lately. Yeah, that's true. 
I don't know. Of course, that startup that was treated me so well did get acquired, and I just kind of got fed into a, a monolith. So Yeah, exactly. It, it treated you well because it wasn't making any profit. Yeah. <laughs> like That's the whole deal. All right, so Jake comes in, and weirdly, the bar is completely empty despite being open. Probably because the replicator's broken, I guess. Mm, yeah, there's no booze. And no booze. And Jake thinks Nog asking to join Starfleet is a joke. But it's not. And Nog is furious that Jake told his father that it was a joke. Jake asks him why. Nog doesn't want to talk about it. He's just insistent about joining Starfleet. So on the surface of the moon, Odo tries to beam out Kira, but it won't work. There's interference of some sort, and there's no way to use the transporter. And this is where the stakes actually kick in here. Uh, because before, I just beam him out, no problem, doesn't mm. matter. Yeah, but Major Odo Barrett's tries, like, nope. Nope. Major Barrett says, nope. He tries to send a distress signal, and he asks how long it's going to take. And the computer says, two days uh, before they can expect rescue. So Odo goes back to Kira, and here's phaser fire. Kira and the Maquis guy shot at each other. Then he ran away. And Odo is distressed to see that the crystal has spread further up Kira. And I think I think one of the things that makes this work, right, is how um, how seriously Renee plays this. Mm. He does not play this for laughs. He does not play this goofy. He is immediately seriously concerned. Um, you know, and and he's trying hard to pretend that he's not for uh, for Kira's behalf, but it's written all over his face, despite the fact that his face is covered with goo. It's 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 a tremendous performance. So in Act Three, we head to the promenade, and Bashir and Cisco talk about a crew member who is sprouting buds. Turns out he's pregnant with twins. They are both delighted. O'Brien and Bashir are throwing him a baby shower. Uh, more progressive gender representation decades ahead of its in time. In just a scene. And you know, and, and I think that that totally is throwaway. The, why it's one of my favorite scenes of the episode because it's it's not it's not plot tied, it's not necessary. Could easily have been snip snipped, but it does so much for representation in in making it kind of just cast off and how the future will be and a uh, great great little scene. Yeah. It, it's it's so it's so radically progressive in such a tossed off sci-fi way, but like Neither one of them could care less. They're going to throw, you know, the the two men are going to throw a baby shower for the other. Like, it's it's terrific. And I, I, I love that little beat. And it's one of those things that is going to continue to age better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, love it. So Nog chases down Cisco and asks if he's going to write the recommendation letter. And Cisco reluctantly says, I don't think so. Your grades have been bad and you have a terrible reputation with Odo, etc., getting into trouble. And of course, Nog is disappointed. Later, Cisco tells Doc, Dax, that he wants to test Nog's commitment by giving himself a chance to prove himself, giving him a chance to prove himself, and to have him inventory a cargo bay filled with expensive equipment. Uh, implications clear. So on the moon, the crystals are now halfway up Kira's body. They're both nervous. And Odo thinks maybe the Maquis guy trapped her there on purpose. Kira thinks she only has about 12 hours before the crystal overtakes her. And she's understandably starting to lose it. Um, 
because that's terrifying. Now, it especially, think about the character mm-hmm. about to be eaten by this crystal, and poor Nana, who knows she's about to be encapsulated in this thing uh, with by this terrible point, claustrophobia. If you've got claustrophobia and it's up to your belly button, you're already you're already sweating. Speaking of, it's not just the claustrophobia. Look at her constricting kind of uniform that she's wearing. Her costuming mm-hmm. is not, uh, let's say, loose uh, athleisure wear in any way, right? It's it's pretty uh, constricting. On top of that, I'm not sure the last time you shot a, a television show uh, in a in the dark, but there are probably eight thousand lights at you know a gajillion lumens shined sh- shined on her, and uh, probably sixty people plus. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, she uncomfortable at this. You point. are in the hot seat. Yeah. yeah. She is uncomfortable. For sure. And they said they oh, gave really? her like a little stool, which was nice, but yeah. But oof, still yeah. that's tough. And you you can't move your feet, can't move around. Like you'd like just to get out and use the bathroom for a second involves because yeah, they can't move it. Yeah, they or they don't want to lose out. the sight lines and all that oh, kind of good stuff. That's a that's a nightmare. I bet you. I'm sure she had a stand in, or maybe not actually. Because they have I mean, to keep it inside the prop. Well, I, I bet. Well, I'm I'm sure they had a stand-in set the lights. Yeah, pre so, Yeah. Then take her out, and then. But once they're shooting the scene, I don't think she can get out. Oof. Realistically. Yikes! It is Especially it is palpable. Are, it is palpable in the scene. She's feeling it. Yeah. yeah. And these scenes are, especially the last scene, is long mm-hmm. and complex and emotional. And oh my goodness. So uh, Odo has an idea from a criminal incident report. Possibly using a phase resonator to use sound waves to create sympathetic vibrations and shatter the crystal. Uh, cool. And at least, like, scientifically, like, I, it passes the smell test to me, which is pretty cool. So he goes to get some equipment. Meanwhile, Dax is explaining the task to Nog uh, of inventorying the uh, cargo bay. He asks what it needs to be done. He says the next morning, and he says, nope, I'm going to get it done tonight. He is eager and ready to go. On the moon, the crystal is now up to Kira's chest. She's scared, and Odo is working frantically. They talk about Odo's plan to go kayaking with O'Brien in the hollow suite to keep her calm. Um, it turns out he's gone a couple of times before. And O'Brien likes to sing ancient human sea chanties like Louis Louis. Kira is charmed by the image of them doing this together. O'Brien keeps dislocating his shoulder, but Odo mentions that humanoids have a hard time giving up the things they love, no matter how much it may hurt them. There's some wisdom there. He's like, how can I say this as close to saying it without saying it? Indeed, yeah. I mean, fascinating. Then there's another earthquake and rocks start falling... Which brings us to Act 4, where we see that Odo has protected Kira from the rocks by forming a, an Odo force field. Uh, cool. Good use of Odo. Mm-hmm. Good use Actually, of his Actually, a pretty good composite there, too. You can see Kira through it yeah. and everything. Yeah, not bad at all. He tries to reassure her by saying, we've been in tougher situations. She doesn't buy it. Uh, he wants to cheer her up with a platitude but she just wants to face the reality of the situation. And frankly, he does too. And he says, that's why we get along so well. In the replimat, Dax shows Nog's work. He nailed it. He's gotten all of it done accurately in five hours and didn't steal anything. It's pretty big. 
in fact, found some stuff they missed the first time. Cisco is impressed, but is stuck because he still doesn't really understand why Nog wants to join. We head back to the planet. There's really only two 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 very small, I mean, big stories, mm-hmm. right? But you, you you just have two little duets of acting. You, you know, you have you have Cisco and Nog and Odo and Kira. Uh, back on the planet, the crystal is up to Kira's neck now, and Odo's plan isn't working. It's almost like the crystal is changing its own frequencies. So Kira, panicking, asks Odo to tell him a story. How did you get your name? And I thought we'd heard this before, but I guess we hadn't. I just knew it already. Odo explains that when he was just a specimen in the lab, he was labeled Unknown Sample which translated into Cardassian, into Odoito, which literally means nothing. And even after he became sentient, the scientists kept calling him that. Of course, it it hurt Odo and made him feel like he was nothing. Until I met you, Kira. And and, and the others, and the others. Everybody else, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, them, too. And now... When I hear you use my name, I don't feel like nothing. Uh, it's profound. It's 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 very very sweet um, and heartbreaking, as all of Odo's stories are. And Kira, in tears, rests rests her cheek on his hand. She knows that the ultrasonic generator is not going to work, and neither of them have any more ideas. She's gonna die, um, and is giving once again an astounding performance <laughs> trapped in that thing she's like i'm gonna win that emmy you just wait but oh my god the two of them together are just fire in this scene um the vulnerability that they're both showing oh my god so good kira says uh, he, he thinks something's wrong this should have worked the plan that i had and kira says you need to leave the cave is gonna collapse get out that's an order. Which brings us to Act 5. Odo says, you can't order me. I've resigned my commission. I'm not going to abandon you. I can't. And why he confesses that he's in love with her, then collapses with grief. Um, I mean, what a performance from mm-hmm. Renee here. Like, yeah. holy crap. And, um, and even as a changeling, the the potential vulnerability, the potential disappointment, uh, rejection, the 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 vulnerability, all of it still takes a physical manifestation on him. Yeah, which is really kind of cool. It's such a human reaction, but I guess it's not a human reaction. It's a, it's kind of a yeah a universal. Well, but it, it's it's the reaction of somebody who has gotten to this point in his life believing he was nothing mm-hmm. this whole time. I mean that that's the whole. I mean God, the uh, it you know it's a sci-fi like talking about a labeling a pile of goo but you know if you've been labeled that as a child like you carry that with you well into your adulthood and it's it's all very it's very human Mm -hmm. um and then kira says i'm in love with you too uh which is is perhaps the surprising piece of all of this especially two weeks after uh, burrell kicked it after burrell dies yeah um you know and, and i think it's it's I think for context, for Mike's benefit, this is not 
one of our main characters confessing love for another character is not something we've ever seen on Star Trek before. Yeah, I assumed as much. It felt those stakes felt present. It is, and and like that, that is not there. You know the, the you know the Riker Troy thing. Sure, they had an on again off again thing, but that was established in the pilot, and they were just sort of friends with benefits. Um, up until this point in Trek, this was utterly unprecedented. And so it definitely lands a little bit differently when you realize, like, whoa, that's different. So we head to Cisco's office, and Cisco says, tells Nog, uh, I'm going to turn you down. You're just not Academy material. He gives him back his money, and he says, uh, you wouldn't last two weeks in the Academy, and I'm not going to put my neck out for a whim. He's pushing Nog intentionally to get to the truth. Where is the profit in it? And Nog says, I don't care about profit. I don't want to end up like my father. My father's been chasing profit his entire life, and it's gotten him nothing. You know why? He doesn't have the lobes, and neither do I. A Ferengi without profit is no Ferengi at all. My father is a mechanical genius and could have been the chief engineer of a starship but he went into business and he sucks at it. But I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm going to make something of my life. I know I have something to offer. I just need the chance to prove it. Um, terrific writing, terrific performance from both of them here. Um, and talk about freaking character development, right? Holy moly. What a, what a turn for Nog and in this, we reveal the turn for Rum, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know we've hinted a little bit up to this point that he has he has mechanical abilities, he's technically like engineering skills. Um, but this is the first time, like, and I, you know, I think Nog's right. Like, his father's a genius, but he's 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 also this sort of goofy loser mm-hmm. because he is following the wrong path. Um, and you know, it, looking at this episode retrospectively, looking about where we're going, this lays the track for seasons of storytelling um, with these two characters, which is really cool. And of course, this turns Cisco. He says, "I'm going to send the letter first thing in the morning, but you've got a lot of work to do." Nog is thrilled. Um, what did you think about this scene? It's awesome. I uh, really loved it. I think really, you know, only Avery Brooks would line reads the way some of it is. And both you're questioning, like, why is he being so harsh to him? Does he already know and just wants to hear him say it? Is he really curious? All kinds of things. But but it becomes clear when Nog gives up the ghost. But I think it also becomes clear Ben doesn't know and has, has to come face to face with some of his even though he was questioning or he was counseling Jake last week about not judging, you know, not judging people based on their sort of intrinsic or or cultural values. And he's got to face that bias here himself and is able to be convinced. I think it's just, it's expertly, also they gave Nog such an incredible monologue that is speaks yeah. to anybody who is a son of a father. Oh uh, my God, right? So, I mean... Yeah, I think it's it's great, and also you know, give you know Nog has or um, Rom has been crapped on so much that it was nice to finally see somebody stick up for him. 
because uh, it really hasn't yeah. happened. I mean, there's that episode where he kind of the tables got flipped a little bit, but ultimately, this is it was really heartening just, just on a many levels here. Yeah, but and and certainly, you know, the father son relationship. Oh my god, like mm. that is such a uh, you and I know that feeling, yeah. and and that just can really just cut straight to it. And you know, and and Cisco's like, I want to support you, but I I want to know why you want to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's a very like testing his commitment. And Cisco does it in the most Cisco-y of ways, mm-hmm. where he, he comes he comes in hard and ends soft. And that sounded way grosser than I meant it to. But um, yeah, it's just a it's a really, really good scene. So we head back to the moon, and Kira points out that Odo hasn't said anything in an hour. Odo has become suspicious. The whole situation is off, and Detective Odo is on it. The phaser hits didn't make sense. Should have hit her, didn't. And he says, you've lied to me twice. When you said the Maquis shot at you, and when you said you loved me. Yikes. I mean, like another level of heartbreak for poor Odo. He knows Kira doesn't love him. She says, I did it because that's what I thought you wanted to hear. And Odo knows she would never do that. She faces the truth, and so does he. He holds up a phaser and says, who are you and what have you done with Kira? Kira smiles and transforms into the female changeling, which I did not pick. I did not guess that that was going to happen 30 years ago. Uh, She says, well done, Odo. I thought the pacing of that whole scene was so good. Like the whole, the the Matlock of it all. Yes. where, Where he's like, he's both Matlock and picking apart the story, but also like his heart breaks that this is the truth mm-hmm. as it's happening at the same time. But also happy that it's not here. It's so like he has so many different levels he has to play. But he's still scene. motivated, right? Because he still feels that way about Kira, and he still can knows that she's somewhere to be saved still. Right. So right, the like, urgency to get through the BS so that he can actually right. be it's, the it's, yeah. it's it's bad news because she doesn't love him. It's good news because she's still alive. It's you know it's it's and the clock is still ticking. Clock is still ticking, and now you have a you know you have a changeling in front of you. Yikes! And uh, it turns out that uh, the changeling, of course, is the fugitive they were chasing, and she did it to under to set up the whole sequence, and she did it to try to understand why Odo chose to live with the solids, and she had the suspicion that there was a link to Kira and now realizing it, it's because he's in love with Kira. That's why he's still with the solids. And her, her thought is if you thought Kira died, you'd come back to the great link. Odo says, I'd never do that. And she says, don't be so sure, but she tells him where Kira is, but it won't make a difference because Kira will never love you because you're a changeling twist it twist that knife then she beams out oh god odo i mean honestly the whole odo's whole story is so tragic mm-hmm. it's it's really i mean questions about know, the motivations some of the motivations of of mama changeling here so we'll yeah i'll i, I will be happy to get into that mm-hmm. um but like odo like starting out 
being treated as you know by the scientists as a pile of goo and being literally called nothing he searches for his people and then his people are bad guys he's in love with kira but kira doesn't oh god this poor guy she doesn't love him love him but i mean that he does he did find a family with him and that's still the oh case for sure here, so for sure but you know like he's in the friend zone yeah. uh, having having been having spent most of my life in the friend zone oh that does not feel good anyway so uh Odo does find Kira in the stasis pod, and they escape the moon. Back at nine, on Deep Space Nine, Kira asks why the founder impersonated her, of all people. He lies and says, just a coincidence. She likes your costume. Yeah, yeah. You're you're probably the best actor for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later, Quark forbids Nog from joining Starfleet. Hell no. But Rom surprisingly stands up for him. In the bar, you're the boss, but not in my family. And he tells Rom, good luck. I'd be proud to have you Ugh. in Starfleet. Ugh, and we all wipe away a tear from how damn sweet that scene is. Like, I'm feeling it now just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Ugh, father-son stuff. Such a, a beautiful story for uh, for Jake and Nog, or for Nog and uh, Rom there. All right, we have so much to talk about. Let's move along home with the bumper that we usually do. Two, three, four. (laughs) Poor Mike. Wake up, Mike. It's all going to be no, okay. Uh, Chancellor Jen brought me a coffee. I'm so appreciative. Drink that coffee. It's good for you. Yeah, Chancellor, you don't deserve Chancellor I don't. Jen. I don't. I don't deserve, but it, I, I am blessed. So, All right. So I think Wormholes in the Plot is going to be an interesting one here because you're going to pull it apart and I'm going to try to put it back no, together. No, it's – here's the thing. So um, I have one that I thought I wanted to talk about, but I want to save it for my – my overall rankings because it's actually I think becomes a benefit of the episode okay Um, interesting but I want to focus my wormholes on I I totally understand the 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 base motivations for mama changeling and but what I don't understand is why so if if the long and short of it she's trying to get some info from him right but if the long and short of it is we're gonna I'm gonna kill off Kira and he'll come home right that's sort of the Active right. motivation her, of the scene. Yeah. Her her motivation is to get Odo back. So why? And it doesn't seem like anyone. None of no changeling has heard another changeling, and it looks like she does want him to be on her side. Big piece so of it. Yeah. why twist the knife? Why fake the "I love you"? Why not just run it through and kill her off? You know what oh, I mean? Well, be, because um, he's not. You, you know, Odo. He's oppositional, and like he's he's not just gonna go back just because Kira's gone. He's gonna go back because he's heartbroken, mm. and they don't. And, and be, I, I guess like such a big piece of this is the Great Link, is their interconnectedness, right? And so they don't just need his physical form back; they need his desire to be there. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, it's like. They really want Odo to want to be a part of it because 
his motive, his his unhappiness or his distress or whatever would pollute their emotional experience of their lives, and they feel like he's a part of their body that has been has been severed from them. And I think like what's you know what what's really going to make him give up on the solids and and the quadrant is truly a broken heart. And I and I think that that I think I think they're twisting the knife to weaken him and they're you know and everything they're doing with him is to try to, Maybe try to the long separate game. him you know I mean? emotionally from the solids okay. it's all like they don't trust you they don't like you the only people who like you are us it's it's sort of very cult feeling it's very um oh, everyone okay. else hates you nobody trusts you we're the only people who are safe it's it's very sort of like dysfunctional family okay that's really the only thing that sort of bothered me because it, it seemed that it uh, it unmotivatingly hurtful to say if they were just if the point was just kill her off inside the rock goo then no need to like do the whole i love you thing also you know it did it did peak my uh it did stretch my and that's where i started to clock oh yeah actually that's pretty good in the writing because that's because odo and, uh, and we have the first uh, have the same a synchronized Hmm, that doesn't quite track moment. Or right. Track. So that was kind of cool. So yeah, that's really the only thing I had clocked, and you worked it for me. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that's it. It is so much about emotional bullying to fall in line with the family. Like that's mm-hmm. I, if people from dysfunctional families will recognize. I mean, it that does work that way. I remember, you know, when I'm you're in elementary school or 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 even like you know younger. And you have your heart broken or your crush doesn't like you or something. I remember I would run home to my mom and we'd rock on the rocking chair, right? So that's your first instinct yeah. is like, go have mama lick your wounds. So I get I get it. Right, right. And and if, you're, if your mom is a psychopath, be like, you're right. Nobody does love you. Only I love you. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, you know, have a 50-year-old living in your basement. Did you have anything else, Keith? <laughs> uh, yes. I, I, my, my biggest question about this, and I can sort of half answer it. And that is, how does this woman, this changeling, know so much about Kira mm. and their relationship to so effectively impersonate Kira and know about O'Brien and know that it's silly and, oh, that's a and good all point. of that? Because, yeah, um, he's taken a long time, but generally he has to, they have to study the nuance of their physicality, right? Not so much their, like, backstory. Right, because, like, she... Kira behaves as if she has all of Kira's knowledge and emotions and memories mm-hmm. um, that it's 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 very specific. So that's always been a bit of a question, you know, with with the with the swapping out folks. I, I think part of that can be answered in the search part two. Mm. Right. Why did they do that big simulation where they got into their heads and scanned their brains and mm. all that knowledge and experience? So I think they probably were able to get a lot of that information from when they spent two days brain scanning everybody. That's great, actually. That's a great solve. Um, and so they they and have they're a also you know of- in addition that clearly shows they're so technologically involved. So if they were able to download even like a little bit of that back stuff, they've been able to sort through yeah. it and implant themselves with the knowledge. And we don't know they that they don't have spies all over the place. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to point to our first yeah. introduction to them when they were able to get everybody on the ship that yeah. quickly they could be coming going and learning whatever they need to they, as they've they need known, to. i mean they they knew a heck of a lot when they showed up so mm-hmm. they've obviously been here for a while right so we don't know the level of and because they're changelings their ability to spy 
Yeah. Incredible. So, uh, anyway, that was always a question, but I think it's somewhat resolved. Let's talk best moments, sir. You know, you know, I'm going to leave you, Keith. I'm going to leave you the dregs. I'm going to let you have the Odo and Kira plot to decide what the best moment. I want to take the Nagram or the Nag Avery Brooks. That scene, that monologue in his quarters is so good. But upon just going through the screenshots again, the scene, the last scene at the bar where mm. Nog's able to look up, and it's not just that he's proud of his son. It's not just that he's supporting his son. It's not just that uh, uh, Quark is getting his comeuppance. Yeah. In my opinion, Nog has, look, as a parent, I don't care Rob. what, Ram, excuse me, as a parent, I don't care what species you are. I think a prevailing sentiment of parenthood, not that you and I can speak to this, but that I've observed. I have a cat. Is that you want your offspring to, most people, I shouldn't, I can't paint with it. I think we're biologically bred so that you want your offspring to be, to end up better off than you were, right? Yeah. Like you're jettisoning a shuttle into space that you want to reach more distant lands than you could make it to, right? And... At some point, I think Rom here has just accepted his lot in life, getting crapped upon, not being successful, basically failing at everything a Ferengi is supposed to be good at, right? By right. the definition. And even as a parent, it's that yeah, that remains to be seen, right? He watches basically Uncle Quark parent knock. Right. You know? Right. Right. And so he's kind of even failed there. And I think we get enough in this scene when he looks up or when, when he says no or something and he, they pan over. You see in his face the first time this character, this person, this sp- being has ever been acknowledged, has ever been raised yeah. up, right? So even though the plot is we're raising Nog up, it, you see Ram for the first time be acknowledged as something more than the sum of its his failures, and it is beautiful. And then the and then their smiles together and that and that closing shot, those closing yeah. few frames, and they embrace is just beautiful. And so that's my that's my best moment. Well, and and I I think what it it speaks to. I mean, so much of this episode is about real complex human feelings yeah. and growth and like. It's it's in a sci-fi way, but the, you know this is not like paint by numbers, simple human emotions. This is some really complex, layered stuff that I, I think Deep Space Nine does better than the other shows. And and in this case, it's the idea that confidence and growth are contagious, and you know, and and we think about generationally, it only works in one direction. It goes down the down the family tree, but you know what? Confidence and growth is contagious in both directions. Mm. And so Nog's growth here influences Rom. Mm. And and we're going to see that that that's going to have ripples and consequences for Rom as well as Nog. And I think it's beautiful, but it's also like that's life, man. That's real. And we're all dragging each other hopefully towards progress. If we're not dragging each other up, we're dragging each other down. Um, and it's a very, it is such a Star Trekian, optimistic, hopeful progression 
uh, with with these two here, and I love it so much. Um, all right, so the best moment, you know, for the uh, for the Odo Kira stuff to me um, is the scene where he breaks down and confesses. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I think the the writing of that scene, the pacing of that scene, the performance of that scene, where we're slowly, slowly, slowly chipping through Odo's defenses to where he finally has to you know vomit out his true feelings in a moment of absolute desperation um and played so honestly by both of them and especially looking back on it right and seeing that that vulnerability that he shared wasn't even with Kira it wasn't even with a safe person to be that vulnerable with it was with this person who was manipulating him and and going to use that vulnerability against him. It's just, oh, it's so heartbreaking. The abusive when you mom read your diary. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The abusive mom, like, told you she was safe, and then she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And and that, oh, God, that is heartbreaking. My heart breaks for Odo in this episode. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. Um, and so I and, think And in that, many ways, this episode highlights... The character that we've built the the strongest wall around has been forced to be the most vulnerable in multiple plots. Hundred percent, he he is both the most walled off and the most vulnerable mm-hmm. person on the show. My suspicion, my suspicion is we're going to see that. In, I'm sorry to cross reference, but in Strange New Worlds, I think Noonien Singh is going to be that character because mm-hmm. she's got prob- the, they've built the, yeah. the toughest wall around her, and so yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's such phenomenal work in the writing and by Renee. Um, I mean, the whole character arc of Odo up to this point has been such a journey and so much fun. So now it is time to hand out some stem bolts. What do you say, Mike? You get some stem bolts. Hell yeah, they are self-sealing. Here are some stem bolts. Really went for it there. Yeah, she learned up. Um. So here, let me. This is kind of a fun, a fun thing. So I, I, I really thought I was going to complain about the scene where Rom is lambasted by Quark while when he's fixing the replicator thing. Mm-hmm. I thought would have made a very strong opening tease. Because it sets okay. up everything yep. instead of kind of, and I was going to argue that the plot suffers because we spend the whole time searching for what is his, what's his end game, what's what's Nog's end game, what's Nog's motivation, yeah. Because that scene, remember, it doesn't happen until like kind of a quarter into the episode where we kind of see what he ends up. So I, I just felt it would be stronger paced if that had opened, right? And then we're kind of ready for it. Mm-hmm. Then we kind of understand when he goes to Cisco's office where he's coming from. That if we're looking through Nog's point of view from the beginning, we we will pull for him more. But upon conversation, Keith, today, I brought up a point earlier that I I I'm, I feel strongly about. Actually, I think the episode is an opportunity and the writing and the pacing and they probably had a conversation along these lines is an opportunity for us like Avery Brooks like Benjamin Sisko to come to terms with our biases the biases we have about these characters the Ferengis Nog 
based on what we've been shown and what we've seen. He yeah. is a scamp. He is a, a little bit naughty. He does get into some... Not great in school. Yeah, and so exactly the same thought I had when that first scene happened in his office. What's the catch? What's he? What's he? What's his angle? Right. Not only do we come to expect it because Nog, but because Quark offerings, we've come to expect what's their right. angle, right? And so when it comes, then when we see that scene, it's not necessary. When we see the scene with Nog being sort of a, uh, what's the word? Uh, not oppressed, um, condescended to and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we feel for him. And yeah, we see that maybe there's a little bit of an ego to Nog. He doesn't want to be, you know, but we don't. I don't necessarily attribute that to his motivations. But it does become clear when he, when he, when he admits to it at the end. And then you're forced to realize, oh, why is it, not, why can't Nog want more? Not than just his right. father, but then any Ferengi. Why is he being forced? Like, I tell you, we talked about on many of our podcasts, ad nauseum, what I hated about my high school experience, about not just high school, a lot of my adolescence, was that there are these predetermined shoots that you got to go down, depending upon right. where I where I grew up, the people I, you know, the type of community I lived in, the type of socioeconomic status I had. You could be this, you could be this, you could be this. Anything that deviates from that, you're a black sheep. Or you're lazy, or you're whatever label you want to attribute to it. Well, right? as you, you're the you're the guy who went into the arts from yeah, a right. from blue collar sort of a background, right? That and was, so there's didn't an have any uphill battle it. to uh, against perception that is such a waste of effort in a life, right? When there is no, you do whatever the hell is your thing, right? Chase your bliss, man. And Nog, the any Ferengi should have the same opportunity. And so coming to See, seeing in myself, even in this trivial in a television episode, attribute the same type of logic to this alien being is an opportunity for me to say, hey, despite having experienced that, I still can be a hypocrite and do it to others, right? So and there's that's the beauty of sci-fi. Yes. Yeah, so there's always really an opportunity is. to reevaluate, even when you think you've grown, we can all regress and then regrow again, much like a yep. crystal around the foot, Keith, if you will. <laughs> So, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Not to mention strong performances from Avery Brooks, of course, from uh, Aaron Eisenberg, Aaron Eisenberg uh, who, you know, there's some great stuff in The Companion we didn't get to about, you know, his physical challenges, his health challenges coming up and how it influenced a lot of his kind of just gumption going for the characters. Some great stuff. Really, really respect him so much more after this episode. Uh, and also the writers and the, the, the team and the staff for just no, for having the faith and trust in their the ensemble and the casting to stretch the stories past just the base ensemble. I think that's the show's better for it. Well, yes. I mean, to, to this series, more than any other track that I'm aware of, hands the ball to extraordinary recurring characters. Now, in the other story, which I'm sure, which the, the companion says was their initial A story, and I think, right. um, <coughs> I, I, I thought it was great. I, I do think the fact it coming off, even though I know time passed, but coming off the Barile episode lessens for me the, the believability of when, what I think could have been a really awesome reveal when Kira says, I love you too, and then the knife twist could, I just think it, it, 
it diminished for me it diminished the impact the explosive impact on both sides and then kind of pulling the rug mm. under that that could have had i just didn't buy it for a hot second so no, we weren't supposed to i know but i think it was supposed to be like a it, kind of moment it, yes and it, it, and it, it could have been yeah and it yeah. and it wasn't that. there because they've built enough between them that that she could there could be like some and i think there are some dormant feelings that haven't been activated let's say yeah that could be explored and i think that this you know because otherwise if there was no shot i don't think that mama changeling would have used that as the manipulative tool it has to be a little bit of truth in order to be truly heartbreaking uh, and mm-hmm. especially to kill her off regardless odo's got to have a little bit of hope yeah and you know my my complaint would be that the the prop hamstrung them a little bit but the truth is that that's whilst it doesn't look great it really doesn't it doesn't really hurt it uh i you know they're in such a, such a weird technological time they're using this practical effect that has to change every couple of scenes but also they're using the like very nascent early cgi for odo to become his force field but right. even me who has a critical kind of i like the candy great looking fresh new stuff it didn't didn't really bother me and how can you complain when you have two of the like best actors on the show or the two best actors on the show just with great writing in great scenes and it you know what's what's really cool about this is where it leaves odo right the scenes yeah. are great and it's much like the one of the my our other favorite episodes where he's just in an elevator talking with major barrett and they right. are exploring the feelings of this exploring such human feelings in the most non-human of all characters right. which i think is sure. also what great what sci-fi can do well, he's, he's he's he is the most emotionally human and least biologically human character on the show so so this is one of those times when i think the acting i think the writing and and all of the stuff i would this could have been a this would be a great stage play because it's it's it written that way and you know, it's there's not a lot of other stuff happening. The stakes are all very personal, uh, but we but a lot of characters grew. A lot of characters are in a different place now than they were at the start, which is pretty awesome. Uh, here we go. Uh, I really loved it. The season three is is knocking it out of the park. I'm not uh, I'm not like jumping through the window, but I'm going to say well, I'm going to go back to the well and say 92 self sealing stem bolts yeah i mean i agree with everything you said uh without question and it is interesting that there are very much two a stories in this episode this this is not an a and a b story these are two a stories Mm -hmm. which dovetail beautifully um you know and i i I think the hand of ira stephen bear is very strong on this episode Coming in as the new showrunner, coming in as somebody who pays a lot of attention to the Ferengi, who writes, like, just the just flat out writing a scene, writing emotions, writing characters, writing conflict, writing the, the, the A to B to C stakes of a scene. It's just a beautifully written episode. It's written like a play with the practical and the emotional and the subtext. It's all there. Um, and and it's really exciting to feel Ira Stephen Bear's hand on the on the uh, on the steering wheel here, um, and you can really tell like where we're headed. Like we're you know obviously all, all sorts of crazy things are going to happen, right? But just the quality of the writing 
but the dialogue and the scenes and the storytelling is just elevated. Um, Sorry, I always do this to you. Yeah. The other thing I thought about just in 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 this episode, many episodes, but this one brought to foreground is is thinking to myself, really, how different this show is compared to what I thought it was and why I didn't watch it originally. Mm. You know what I mean? If that makes what, any what, sense. What did you think it I was? I thought it was just like you... a, a more sci-fi-y, cheesier version of Next Gen, which couldn't be wronger. <laughs> right? It's it couldn't very be more wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think a lot of that is because, interestingly, the marketing, and like I said, I was... I wasn't. I didn't watch Next Gen religiously, but I I, I pipped and popped, and I enjoyed it. I respected yeah. it for sure. But they used Quark so heavily in the marketing, right? Initially, like they were playing for kids, which it's is what I, which is the tone I thought it was more. And yeah, interestingly, I didn't even recognize Voyager was at the same time. I thought Voyager was much later, which means I missed its marketing entirely. Maybe it's because UPN was not a thing I was Probably. paying attention to. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, back to you. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's next gen is way more for kids mm. than DS9 is, and as is Voyager. Deep Space Nine, like, at least in some, to some of the more contemporary New Trek stuff, Deep Space Nine is the most adult, and I don't mean like porny, I mean right. like adult aimed writing of, of any of the, of the Trek shows. So, uh, with all of that, I'm going to give it uh, very close to you a 91.5. Okay. Um, Really like this episode. Really, um, I love the character stuff. I love the track it lays for the future, um, of which it lays a ton. Not to spoil, uh, not to, not to be spoiler, but like I have to imagine they follow up the Rom stuff, right? The Nog stuff, and, oh, and yeah. Starfleet. Okay, yeah, because it be it's just too good of stuff now. It's, there's too much stakes involved in it now to not see it through. Yeah, no, we we will we will not be abandoning that storyline uh, for sure. Um, so yeah, I just I, I I really like this episode. It's it's one that I uh, was looking forward to watching. Um, so excited about where where we're going to go with with all of this, really. Um, and I'm going to do one last thing to replace the uh, oh cool all right the the, uh, the 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 vocab quiz. People have spoken, Keith. The people have spoken, and uh, you know they don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but what I think is interesting is uh, to give. A, a, a uh, an overview of where this episode lands in the quality of the entire series mm. based on the IMDb rankings. Okay. Based on thousands of votes from Deep Space mm. Nine fans out there. There are 173 episodes of Deep Space Nine and this one is ranked number 103 out of 175. Wow. So this is Based on that, a below average episode, well below average of Deep Space Nine, yeah. Huh. So, which they so that their rating is a seventy three stem bolts for this episode, uh, in proportion with the rest of the series, um, which of course made me go back and look, and I realized you and I have only seen one of the top twenty episodes of Deep Space Nine and two huh. of the top twenty five. All right. You know, I wonder well, if people are used to being challenged, you know, in their sci-fi and with with such emotional constructs. Because a lot of times, these kind of shows you're just watching, and you're it's like you got 23 episodes, and it's just a weekly thing you do, and it's part of the. And this does challenge you at times emotionally, and I don't, you know. Well, but I but I don't think that is a reflection of this episode of people thinking this episode isn't that good. 
It just got better. But a reflection of how much better yeah. they think the other episodes Interesting. are. Cool. Well, um, that's, I mean, that's rad. That's cool. exciting, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty freaking I have cool. to say thus far, and, and it's no, once again, for someone who loves the newest, latest, best, as it were, week to week, I'm more excited to watch this than I am Strange New World. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we're much more invested in all. Yeah, so, yeah things, mostly that but, reason. But you know, the but yeah. the legacy quality of it. I'll say, I loved the practice. We watched the whole thing, but the legacy quality of it, the the it's kind of the tropes of being recorded twenty years ago, made twenty years ago, did weigh on me a little bit, especially towards mm. the end. I don't have any of those feelings of fatigue here. None, zero. No, yeah. no. I mean, like you, you upscale it and fix some of the special effects. You mm-hmm. could be playing this right friggin' now, yeah. and with no compromise. All right. So next week we will be watching the episode Destiny. So uh, we'll find out what happens then. Uh, if you're still watching, you can check out our other shows. Look at my Star Trek toys, KM Geekly, Strange New Show. Keith and Mike watch Strange New Worlds. Here's all of our social medias here. I'm at Keith Varney on everything, and Mike is at MikeyI99 on everything. You can join our patron, Patreon at patreon.com slash KM. Uh, if you haven't already, please give us a like. Please give us subscribe. Tell a friend. We're mm-hmm. trying to get more people to watch. Uh, and so if you have any, you know, post on your social media or tell a friend, whatever it is, anything really, really helps. Um, thank you so much for watching. We will see you back here next week with another episode of Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.